John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 024.DA1106, certificate number 45359. The Anarchy. You're saying that a little archly given your young anarchists background shouldn't you say the word anarchy a little more reverently and then maybe draw the a on the wall behind you yeah i was saying it sort of influenced by the larch the anarchy the anarchy i feel like how to recognize different types of dystopia (laughs) the anarchy if you put the in front of it it suggests un-anarchy rather than anarchy as a philosophy this is one particular anarchy in the uk we've had anarchies in omnibus before slab yep. slab city is was a kind of anarchy. kind of anarchy we and talked about the anarchist cookbook. we did the cookbook right yeah. um this is a period which historians call the anarchy which i was surprised to discover this was the big twist for me that it existed okay I, not being a medieval historian which i assume is true of our our tentacled future listeners uh i bet you i bet you fully five percent of all omnibus subscribers are medieval historians and, and are already typing an email to tell us so they're super mad uh, they're, they're not as mad as the whiskey distillers, but, but I'm a lay person. I feel like I have a pretty good sense of who was King when and yeah. who Shakespeare thought was the bad one and who, you know, who Robin Hood thought was the bad one. Absolutely. <laughs> it was always part of a, of a, of a proper education, right? That it, you at least had a thumbnail timeline of everything between the council of Nicaea and, and the Renaissance. And for me, particularly, I don't know why, but particularly in Britain, like for some reason, Knowing the British uh, houses and kings seemed like much more of a mark of of our cultural lineage than knowing the French or German ones, and I don't know if I could defend that. Well, except Charlemagne, right? There's always that that bubble for Charlemagne and yeah. Erasmus or whatever. You've got you, you bounce over a couple of times. There's like one pope to know. There's yeah. one Holy Roman Emperor to know. But it did seem like for a while you there's the you, false popes. Maybe because there's maybe there's no is it because of Shakespeare? Is it Shakespeare's fault that we think? We have to know all the numbers of all the kings, all the regnal numbers. They were dark ages, Ken. How can, how, I mean, how do you even know what was happening in Poland? So you I have to go to Poland. So despite having what I thought was a pretty good amateur's grasp of British history, I had no idea that there was a, an English civil war in the 12th century. 
And even better. I'm only learning about it now. (laughs) There was? You've just discovered. (laughs) And even better, a strong female protagonist, which is what everyone wants today. So this is post-Doomsday Book. Yeah, it's, well, it's post-Norman Conquest. Yeah, also post-Doomsday Book, right? That right. would be... Um, but not long after. No, we could start with uh, William the Conqueror himself, if we wanted. The uh, okay, I mean, the Norman Conquester and Keeper of the Book in Question. Because we know, as part of our, our now apparently like Swiss cheese hole-filled sense of of England, uh, where we're, we all are versed in Norman conquest. So sure. let's start there where we know things. But that's because there's a nice tapestry about it. Right. If there was a beautiful tapestry. old the dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> if there was a beautiful tapestry about Ethelred the Unready, we would know everything about him too. Right. Um, but they're just, so that's, that's an, a piece of advice to our listeners. Well, I know Ethel, Ethelred the Unready. Have you made a tapestry of your accomplishments to make sure that uh, the future doesn't miss when Haley's Comet was in the sky in your life. Wouldn't and, that uh, be nice? You know, we do have some listeners who are, are who are quilters, embroiderers of a. And I've received, I've actually received a fan quilt in the course of doing this show. But what you need to send John is a six hundred foot long chronological <laughs> tapestry embroidered, embroidering all his deeds, not embroidering them factually, but embroidering them with thread. Wouldn't that be awesome? In nineteen eighty six, you 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 show. Uh, John, uh, you see Haley's Comet. Yes. And you see... I also hitchhiked across America. listening to Motorhead. Oh, <laughs> and hitchhiking. And watching the young ones. That's right. <laughs> the um, So William the Conqueror uh, has four sons. Not anymore. Had four sons. Mm-hmm. By the way, this show was suggested by a listener named David, who said, hey, Habba, why don't you do this um, this time of troubles in British history? And I literally fell asleep reading... <laughs> his sentence about it. And I thought, I'm going to maybe have to tell David to go back to the drawing board. And then when I started to dig into the anarchy, yeah, I was shocked that I, I didn't know so much about this turbulent time. I've, I've noticed definitely uh, uh, future links that, that are Patreon subscribers that propose show topics to us. Um, they've, they've started to propose those topics with long paragraphs <laughs> reflecting their own research Sometimes bullet points, sometimes an outline. Yeah. So it's, I mean, on one hand, it's doing some of the heavy lifting for us, but on the other hand, yeah. It, it's, it's actually helpful. Mindy recently sent me a, a reminder of, uh, of who had requested which shows. And it was, one of them was a listener who had just suggested two Polish cities. Yeah. And I Googled them and thought, uh, I'm not sure what. And luckily, I went back to the original email and he actually had a suggestion for how each show would go. And Yeah, because he, but they were just two Polish cities that he had a business in. Yeah, his company has offices <laughs> in these two medium sized <laughs> Polish cities. And therefore, yeah, I mean, there's something interesting about every city. And he, but that was what he, he had outlined why he thought this was omnibus worthy. But, and I was ready to do one or both, but then I realized that they were just like European. Nazi Cold War stories. And I was like, oh, I don't want to get, I'm already so typecast. I'm like the fun. We're on a Hitler break. Yeah. No Hitler for a month. Our least. promise to you, not counting disclaimers like this, <laughs> our, our vow to you, the customer. Also, I should reiterate, we are against Nazism. 100%. Yeah. Germany's been Hitler free for almost 80 years. Some parts of Germany are Hitler free. Sure. The, the chancellorship has been Hitler free <laughs> That's right. for good, 75 good. years. Good. And uh, I don't think Omnibus could go 75 years Hitler-free. You, you can't talk—it's one of the—you can't talk about the great conflicts of the 20th century 
without talking about the yo-yos responsible. You got to go back to the Norman Conquest, which was Hitler. I promise there is no Hitler in this story of 12th century Britain. Hey, did you watch The Man in the High Castle? (laughs) Boy, our vow, our anti-Hitler vow lasted like, lasted until the next thought entered your head. (coughs) Okay, back to the Norman Conquest. Did you see the the sheriff in Kent who put The Man in the High Castle You're talking about Kent Washington. Kent Washington, just here outside Seattle. Isn't some deputy sheriff or assistant? Because the sheriff of Kent might also figure in oh, in sure. a different way to this story. Yeah, the Duke of Kent is in here. He's <laughs> mad at Robin Hood. He puts Maid Marian in a tower. No, this is a guy who was actually just some Kent law enforcement guy here in, in Kent, Washington, one of the largest cities in the county. Kent is a, is a town. And he uh, was a fan of Man in the High Castle and put some Third Reich-themed stickers on his office door. Oh, dear. And got, well, you can imagine what happens to a policeman in America who has a Nazi rank on his office door. Did he He, get promoted? He was suspended for a week with pay, of course. (laughs) (laughs) You you can't just let that kind of thing go. Suspended by whom, though? The the King County Council? No, I think it was just, I think it was the chief called him in and said, uh, hey, uh, you're not actually an uber-schlosser-commandanter. Oh, so he was, he was feeling like, the man in the high castle was something to aspire to in terms he didn't, of apparently didn't understand the narrative thrust of the man in the <laughs> high castle. And that was his defense. It's mm. just one of my favorite Netflix shows. Of course I would have a sticker from that show yeah. on my office door. Wait, yeah, but that implies that stickers like actual fan merch from the man in the high castle, uh, have like swastikas on them. It wasn't swastika, but it was like an SS emblem oh, on, on the guy's desk. Oh, do you remember when we're not doing, this is a terrible Hitler free show. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Where are we has, now? This show has like a record amount of Hitler. We're deep in the Hitler weeds. Did you do you remember when Man in the High Castle like rebranded New York subway cars as uh, like Third Reich themed subway cars to, I, to I, really get us into the spirit of the thing? I feel like I was I was uh, that was during a time when I was refusing to read BuzzFeed, but I but you couldn't couldn't avoid some of that controversy. Yeah, it doesn't. It, it's crazy when somebody does something like that and you and you think, was there not a second person in your office? Was there not one? You, you didn't have to run this by anybody? Did I just say it was Netflix? It's Amazon, right? I don't know. You know, I just got my Prime uh, my Prime account canceled because I didn't update my, uh, my credit card information after I got my wallet lost. You're a second-class citizen in Seattle if you don't have Prime. I don't have Prime anymore. You're and, you paying know, shipping to get cough drops. They sent me a, They sent me a, an email that said your Prime has been suspended, and I was like, you know what? I don't even care. Speaking of anarchy. I know. Try try this on for size. Hey, Jeff. Sit, sit and spin, I'm buddy. Just, I'm not Prime. <laughs> What's the opposite of Prime? Choice? Yeah, I'm choice. Composite? <laughs> USDA, uh, USDA okay. I'm divisible by several numbers, <laughs> Jeff Bezos. Anyway, here's a perfect segue. William the Conqueror had four sons. Yeah, right. Sure. <laughs> uh, Any daughters? Yeah, he had a bunch of illegitimate sons and a bunch of daughters. Um, but, but four sons make it into the record. What's interesting about this story is that, you know, all these pre-Norman, at no point in English history had there really been a queen of any kind. There's, I mean, oh. you, you can go back to Boadicea, I guess, if I'm saying that right. But none of these... Wessex and the like. Ever, it was just Edgar after Edwin after Edward. Right. Um, so daughters were not traditionally part of royal inheritances, which is going to factor in our story and give us our strong female protagonist. All right. Um, William the Conqueror's oldest son, Robert. You know, after he 
moved his HQ across the channel to Britain. Conquered, in other words. Got a, won a battle at Hastings, got mm-hmm. a tapestry out of it. You know, he kind of split his various holdings in England and France among his sons. His oldest son, Robert, I guess, was never a serious claimant for the English throne, even though he wanted it. Um, William preferred to leave him in Normandy. They didn't get along. But his uh, was it a was it like a, a Fredo Corleone thing where he just wasn't he got passed over? Uh, he's the oldest son. Maybe he's a hot tempered sunny type. Oh, a sunny Salvatore. Yeah. Right. I don't know. There may not be a one to one correspondence between William Conqueror's kids and <laughs> well, and Vito Corleone's kids. We make no such. Uh, William warm. indulges his oldest son, and he should speak when he when he or he should listen when he speaks. Although two people are about to take like an arrow to the eye, so that that's okay. kind of Corleone like. Mm. Was it, um, did it happen in a toll booth? It would have been. It happened in the New Forest. It happened while hunting stags. Yep. Nobody was eating an orange because they would not have been known in the Northern Hemisphere at that time. Right. Everyone was dying of scurvy. Right. They wish they had eaten an orange, probably. William II is going to inherit the throne, but in the year 1100, he takes an arrow while hunting from one of his liege men. It's a Dick Cheney type story. It seems to be a little bit suspicious. <laughs> Historians have often wondered what really happened. Uh, if, you're, if you're outside Hampshire today, you can go see the Rufus Stone, where William Rufus uh, took an arrow to the lung, and apparently that's not where it happened. There was a tree there. At one point in the 17th century, King Charles is like, uh, you, you, boy, tell me, wh- uh, where did uh, where did William this... William Rufus get killed, and they said, well, uh, as you know, sire, the arrow bounced off a tree, and uh, it's that oak tree. The arrow bounced off a tree? By the 17th century, that was the lore. There was a ricochet. (laughs) It was something from Disney Plus's Hawkeye. I don't know that much about arrows, but boy, that would have to be a lucky shot to bounce one off a tree. Well, speaking of luck, this is actually the exact same forest where William II's older brother had died in a hunting accident a few years before. Huh. So William the Conqueror is now down to Robert, the oldest son he doesn't like, and uh, his youngest son, Henry. And when William the William II is king, by the way, he, you know, he is he has replaced um William the Conqueror has died. William II is king at the time he takes the arrow. Henry I, maybe not necessarily the... Uh, next you know, in line. Next in line, because his oldest brother, Robert, is still alive. But he, crucially, is very close. He's he's on the scene when the oh. arrow hits William II in the lung. Grabs the crown before it hits the ground. Yoink! He is off to London and seizes power quickly. He marries Matilda of Scotland, the Scottish king's daughter. We're going to have to get used to the fact that every man in this story is named... William or Henry, and every woman is named Matilda. Oh. Apparently in the 12th century. Matilda. You, all you, your daughters and wives and mothers were named. You waltz Matilda. Matilda. That's right. That's where Australia got the idea. Henry and Matilda have two children, a son named William, shocker, was there and any, a daughter named Matilda. Was there contention about his seizing the throne of England? Was England the the the... The, the prize? crown jewel? Yeah, was it the prize over France, I over think it, Normandy? I think it must have been. I've been to both. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> right. Like, if you think about the North, parking North, lots. Northern of, France yeah. is, a, is a little bit bleak. It is right? bleak, but was it always? It, I, always I mean, it's full of, of hardy Britain fishermen eating chowders, Yeah, which, you know, nobody could be against, it, probably wearing weird woolen hats. I always felt like that bleakness was was a product of 
later development, but maybe... Well, maybe it was all the brain drain to England. Everybody was like, hey, we got rolling hills and hedgerows across right. the channel. Okay. Well, yeah, I see that. We're getting on a boat. If you asked me which one I wanted uh, at this point, I would say England. Henry and Matilda have two legitimate kids, William and Matilda, and dozens of, of illegitimate ones, of course, such as Henry well, the, the First's royal prerogative at the time. The two of them don't have illegitimate children. No, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very hard for Matilda of Scotland to have illegitimate children she didn't know about. Uh, Henry the First has a variety of, of uh, mistresses and courtesans. Um, but William Adeline is really the only, is, you know, the only male claimant mm-hmm. to the throne, to the to the English throne. Matilda is born in 1102. By the time she is eight years old, she is betrothed to Henry V of Germany, a very promising match for the oh yeah for the King of England's daughter. Um, and Henry V is. 20 years older than her. What relation to Charlemagne is Henry V? Is this the only thing you want to know about any German at yeah, any it point? Just, it, just, it just connects me to, to that uh, cathedral in Aachen where I sp- spent an hour taking a knee. You know, John, I deal in answers and questions for a living. I know you do. In that order? I for, have a lot of questions about how that happened for you. <laughs> it's a little weird. <laughs> and you have so few answers. That's because generally I have the answer first and then oh sure the question sure sure of course but uh, you know it's it sometimes can be difficult to hunt down answers to questions you're on the internet you've got a real life question like how do I find real candidates to fill these job openings that have the right skills isn't that the kind of thing you're often wondering as you're googling. It is, and you know, I've hired a lot of people in my day uh, to work for um, to work in your Tanzanite mines, yeah, and to work for the Roderick Group, and um, I've had very mixed results. I don't really know how to get the right candidates for the job. It's su- the, the Roderick Group is a very specialty operation. You're always, you know, firing people from uh, from Waystar Rodco, yeah, throwing them off the throwing them off the the, the observation platform on the 108th floor. We have a lot of government contracts, the Roderick group, uh, that, you know, that I'm not allowed to really talk about, but so my employees have to be pretty specialized. I mean, do you have a solution to this problem? Let me recommend to you indeed. Indeed. The Roderick group needs indeed to be its hiring partner because it's one-stop shopping for attracting, interviewing and hiring New talent all in one place. But I'm not an expert at this. Is there is there some learning curve where I have to figure out how to do a whole process? No. With, uh, with Indeed's instant match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates and you don't pay unless they meet the must-have requirements you've posted for your Roger Group jobs. But aren't there a ton of job sites that offer these services? Why would I choose Indeed? Indeed does it all. They deliver four times more hires than all other job sites combined. John, so you you don't have to sit around posting on multiple sites. Let the talent come to you with Indeed.com. They'll partner with you on every step of the hiring process, all the way through assessments, virtual interviews, everything till they come on board. Indeed is there for you. Well, I'm ready to start hiring right now, but I'd, I'd like a little enticement. And I know Omnibus often offers Futurelings a special deal. Oof. 
what if we sponsored some kind of job credit? Would that be would that wiggle the dial, as it were, for it, you? It would. I kind of feel like uh, that's that's a that's pretty special. What what are we going to offer? You'd probably be pretty impressed if it was like a twenty five dollar sponsored job credit. Yeah, that would that get me off the stool. You'd be even happier if it was a fifty dollar sponsored Come job credit. Come on, who can afford to to pass this opportunity up? You know what? I'm going to sweeten the pot further. Even though you've just said you would be happy with the lower numbers, I'm not. I don't know why I'm doing this. What are you going to do, money bags? I want you to start hiring right now. I'm going to offer a $75 sponsored job credit for anyone who upgrades their job post at Indeed.com/omnibus. This offer is valid through March 31st. So go to Indeed.com/omnibus to claim your $75 credit before March 31st. That's correct. Indeed.com/omnibus. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Henry's in a different German dynasty. He's a Salic king, but like Charlemagne, he has his eyes on the Holy Roman Emperorship. Yeah, there we go. Which is getting batted around Europe like a pig's bladder. Um, But the funny thing is that Matilda is, Henry V is 20 years older than her, so I assume that's why they're not married immediately upon their, his eight-year-old, his betrothal to an eight-year-old. But even that, only 28 years old, so not like... No, he's not... Nowhere close to the life expectancy of 54. But you're not saying that it's okay to marry an eight-year-old if you're 28, John. I don't know what your age difference rule is, but the fractions can't work out. Listen, I'm not uh, not a cultural imperialist. How can we judge these people by the standards of of (laughs) Of our day? Today, that's right. Well, even by the standards of the time. Even in Afghanistan, the standards of today. uh, What's interesting to me is that she could be crowned queen of Germany even though they were not yet married. Her, oh. her coronation happened at eight years old when it's really just... Um, a betrothal. Yeah. It's a, it's a Facebook status. How is that? How? I don't know. The huh. laws of the... Time. I guess the time. you, you want to have a queen. And the funny thing is, she is a... As a young teen, she is still... I mean, this is, this is after her, um, her official marriage to Henry at 12. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. But she actually seems to be a... She's not just, uh, you know, embroidering upstairs or, or wandering the gardens. She's actually... She's got moxie. As a young teen, she's, like, got governmental administration duties. She and her husband march. And there's a lot of uh, infighting going on between all the various kinds of German nobility over power and prestige, and specifically the title of Holy Roman Emperor. And so she and her 20 years older husband lead an army on Rome. Uh, they, like, okay. they, they march on the Pope. They end up occupying Italy at 16 years old. He, uh, Henry goes back to Germany, leaving her 16 years old as a as the regent uh, monarch in Italy, and he gets a papal envoy to crown him Holy Roman Emperor. Really, and the King of England. This is the King of England's daughter. He, this is okay. sorry. This is Henry V of Germany. Oh, oh I see her, Henry V. I knew it was going to be trouble. Everybody's yeah. a Henry or a Matilda. Well, and the, this and is the German king. There's never been an English king that was Holy Roman Emperor. No, but at this point, the whole the English king's daughter is styling herself as Empress Matilda, even though it's a little bit iffy whether or not him being crowned Holy Roman Empire Emperor actually makes her an empress. So the first crusade was. Right about 1100. Yes, and characters in the story do go off to the Crusades. So, uh, so, but this whole idea of like, okay, we're headed back. We're, you know, I'm going to make my 12 year old wife the the king of Italy. There, Henry V of Germany never heads to the Holy Land, but he does. He is fighting wars on all sides in Northern Europe. Mm-hmm. 
leaving Empress Maud again, weirdly, the daughter of the sitting king of England on the Italian throne in her teens. Uh-huh. Um, but all this doesn't matter. She's just a woman. They call her Empress Maud. Another weird thing we have to accept about this time is that Matilda, Matilda is... and Maud were the same name. Uh-huh. It's a Margaret Peggy situation, I sure. guess. She's just a girl in the world. Uh, because her brother, William Adlin, is almost certainly going to inherit the Norman throne of England. Is he a younger brother? He is, I believe so, yeah. I believe she's older. But however, in November of 1120, uh, about 300 English and Norman nobles are having a riotous party on the White Ship, the Blanche Neff or something, some amazing new state-of-the-art Norman craft, the the 12th century equivalent of a pleasure yacht, I assume. It's And is it like barged in the Thames or where is it? It's at, at Harbor, in Harbor in Normandy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, in Normandy. William Adelin is one of the noble, the, the heir to the British throne is aboard. Uh, an incredibly drunken party is going on. Let me see if I can find... And uh, William Adelin gets hit with a ricocheting crossbow bolt. <laughs> there is so much drama around royals at this time. Uh, the chroniclers say that... Uh, the ship at the time was overcrowded with riotous and headstrong youths, mm-hmm. which is, you know, as then as now, a recipe for a... For a balcony collapse in a club. <laughs> a great party. <laughs> um, let me see. The prince gave orders that they should have three muids. I guess those are... Is that a measure of wine? No sooner was the wine delivered to them than they had a great drinking bout and pledging their comrades in full cups, indulged too much and became intoxicated. Mm-hmm. Uh... The ship is full of treasure and the king's casks uh, of wine. It's a starlit night. While its triangular sail began to take the wind, 150 noblemen of the first families of Normandy, Anjou, and England were engaged in joyous words. All in brilliant costumes, their bodies adorned with narrow and trailing clothes of various colors. This is hot. Yeah. Feet shod in boots. I don't know why this is important. With long, straight, and curved tips. Yes. All three types of boots are represented. <laughs> yes. Uh, animated, I've been to one of these parties. And here's where it gets good. Animated by beautiful and frolicsome young women. Yeah. Have you ever been animated by a beautiful and or frolicsome young woman? Yeah. They drew their two lively... I like how it's blaming the women here. They drew their two lively gaiety in cups of foamed wine and hippocras. Uh-huh. I don't know if... I don't know if they wouldn't have been drinking if not for the frolics. It's the hypocrisy, though, that puts it over the top. Some priests come aboard. You know, they're going to set off. Another ship has already gone ahead, and they want to catch up. And are they on their way to to England at this point? They're going to cross the channel. They're following another ship that's already headed out. Some priests want to come aboard. uh, As part of an eyes-wide-shut situation where they're... Well, it says the priests wish to bless the assembly by the torchlight of the orgy. Oh, see how they do. So maybe they're not very good priests. Anyway, they're insulted and mocked. So the ship goes off unblessed. Right. Taking off out of the harbor of Barfleur. That's a bad omen. All the drunk, it's a booze cruise. All these drunken nobles are yelling at the hundred uh, at the 50 oarsmen to overtake the king's ship, uh-huh. which is left earlier. Spilling the, wine on them. The, cap, Come on! the captain has also been drinking. A bunch of bros. And it's a very treacherous part of the coast. It's a dark night, and they almost immediately run aground on a rock called, to this day, Keel Boof. I don't know what that means. Beef killer? Beef quills? Well, no, Keel. It's a, it's a, it's a... No, no, it's, it's do you think Q-U-I-L-L-E? Do you think that's part maybe, of a boat? Maybe, it's a, it's a beef keel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they beefed on the, they beefed the keel on the rock. 
and uh, the ship uh, sinks. Uh, William heads off in a skiff and would have made it to safety, but he hears his uh, half-sister, also named Matilda, but not Empress Matilda, not Empress Maud, she is going down with the ship and crying for help. So he turns his skiff around and heads back to rescue her and is immediately overwhelmed with... uh, uh, Oh, people in the the water? Arms and legs of people in the water, and his skiff is overturned. And uh, hundreds of people are killed. A single a single man makes it back to shore, a butcher from Rouen, the only survivor of the hundreds who were aboard the white ship on that fateful night. And for so, hundreds of years, this becomes like the momentous tragedy in English history. You know, wow. for, for centuries, this was their... The, the king apparent is Kennedy dead. Kennedy assassination. Yeah, the heir to the king is dead. So it's, it's like the Kennedy assassination and the Titanic all in one. Imagine if the Titanic had gone down, but... You know, the U.S. The president the or the crown prince of, of Britain had been aboard. Um, Henry I never recovers from it. They don't know how to tell him. Finally, his, uh, in, his uh, courtiers instruct a small child to mope around crying and looking sad to wait for the king to ask him, you, you there, boy, well, what are you crying about? And then the king is supposed to say, or the boy tells him, well, the white ship went down and your son is dead. Yeah. Is that a good way to reveal somebody good news? Make them ask? Well, you, you remember when, when Don Corleone says, you know, I hear, I hear crying in my house, and yet you, my consigliere, have not told me what's going on. So you they, know, it's, it is a thing. They tried the same move. Yeah. I think I would be madder if nobody told me, and then they were like, we'll let a crying kid... Uh, anyway, Henry well, the f- because this is in a this is in an era where the bearer of bad tidings might might get executed. face the sword, right? So yeah, maybe that's the idea. He won't kill this kid, right? Henry the first does not execute anyone, but he falls to the ground uh, in a stupor. It's said that he never smiled again for the rest of his life. Now, just before the boat left Barfleur, as the party is getting crazy, William Adlin, the heir, his cousin Stephen of Blois is aboard as well. <laughs> Blois? What are you laughing at? Stephen of Blois. It's B-L-O-Y-S, a sound we can't really yeah, say right. in English. <laughs> Blois. Uh, speaking of, of, of Blois, he's got a bad case of diarrhea and leaves the party early, <laughs> which uh, changes the course of history. It's the, it's the bout of diarrhea that's... Where will you be when diarrhea strikes? <laughs> Avoiding a shipwreck, I hope. Do you feel like there's ever been a case of... And I should I should say to our listeners who are... Eating while listening to the show. Never eat when listening to Omnibus. Because there might be medieval diarrhea. There's always going to be something. At any point. That's going to turn your stomach. But has there ever been a bout of diarrhea that's changed the course of your life? Oh, I thought you were going to say of our of our time. No, I can't. I can't think of one. Right? I mean, most of the time. I mean, at best, <clears throat> like, does, does having to run into a drugstore change my life? <laughs> in the, it, I just mean in the sense that most of the time those are discrete personal situations where you no one knows yeah where even you those go, closest to you don't know how close the call was right you go in behind the door and you come out some indeterminate time later but it's not a thing where you you've grappled with your demons you don't get on the ship and you've emerged yeah yeah no it's hard to imagine a case of diarrhea changing history i mean if maybe if neil armstrong had had diarrhea at the wrong moment right that's why they had to fake the moon landing um but stephen of block misses he he does a Mark Wahlberg thing and barely misses the nine eleven of oh man of eleven twenty. Man, he would have taken out those terrorists. Uh and so he survives, which will become important. Uh now 
Henry I only has one legitimate child left, Empress Maud. And she's also the queen of Germany, the regent of Italy. She's making people call her the Holy Roman Empress, whether that's legit or not. And still a teen, even at this time? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. In 1120, she would have been 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, so Henry I says, well, it's never been done, but I guess England's going to have a queen. And he makes all his barons swear fealty to Empress Maud. What would the alternative have been? What would they normally do in a primogeniture situation? It would fall to an uncle or a... Like in a, in a case where women are absolutely barred from the crown? Yeah, a, a, a case which is fairly common. What would have, what would have well, happened I mean, next? I mean, in the rest of British history, the women are treated as a last resort, right? If there's no other direct heir, it becomes a woman before it becomes a, nep- a nephew or... Uh, or yeah. Yeah, if she has a son, does it skip? Did that so. ever happen? I think so. Do, 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 I'm trying to think. The uh, you know, in this case, it was a lot more loosey goosey. Like you'll see that a lot relies on who the barons can be persuaded to proceed uh, to recognize, who the church recognizes, who is closest. You know, as in the case of uh, of uh, Henry the First, who is closest to London at the right moment, right. who who can get the crowds of London on his side. There's very much kind of a uh, you know, an Arab Spring kind of a thing where, you know, the crowds of London are going to come out, and if they're for you, you're good, and if they're not, you're in trouble. But the king is still in power. He still has oomph, so he has the time to He's still alive enforce and, this. He can say, look, my, uh, it's going to be my daughter. It's going to be, you know, like, uh, like nowadays the president could say it's going to be Ivanka. And, right. and then the party has to be like, oh, okay. I mean, that's not how it should work in America, but yeah. What has happened in the intervening years is that Henry V of Germany has died, and Henry I has remarried Empress Maud, who is still going by Empress, uh, to Geoffrey of Anjou uh, to kind of shore up his southern border, Mm -hmm. to make a, a valuable alliance with a French lord to his south. And this is a big step down for Matilda, who is, by all accounts... An empress. She's been married to the Holy Roman Emperor, and now this guy, this, just some, this bozo's just a count. Yeah, just some some bozo count. They don't get along. They fight a lot, and a lot of that might be because she is now in her early twenties, whereas he is thirteen. Oh, so she's now the other side of the May December. How did how did he not get a get into a hunting accident? It seems fairly like she would throw him down a well. It's hard to believe. Um, they have a bunch of children. But well done, Duke de Anjou. But her, her hold on power is always a little dicey, even though Henry the First plans to leave her the throne. Uh, apparently, both Henry the First and possibly some of, certainly some of his uh, barons and possibly the king himself believe that Geoffrey of Anjou might have designs on, the, on throne. the throne. So they don't, even though the barons have sworn fealty to Empress Maud, they don't love the idea of her taking over. He loves that he has grandkids. You know, he loves his two grandsons that she gives him, including spoilers, the one who will be Henry II. But at the height of this kind of familial power struggle, Henry I dies at 1135. Zoinks. Of what the, what the chroniclers tell us is a surfeit of lampreys. Hmm. I mean, I could see putting one lamprey on oneself, maybe two, but how many lampreys uh, constitute a surfeit? Yeah, he's already sick, 
And as a result, he partakes in too many lampreys. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. eating them in a pie or if he's just having them suck out his <clears throat> No, I bet it humors. is. It's a leeching. I bet um, it's a leeching. Yeah. Whatever the right amount of lampreys is to have in that situation, I haven't tried WebMD, but he has hmm. a surfeit of them. Uh, keep in mind... That seems like malpractice. So uh, the throne should go to Empress Matilda. However, Stephen of Blois, our diarrhea-stricken nobleman, the, the first cousin of Matilda, who has, by the way, sworn on his sword to support Maud's claim, rushes to London and instead of advancing her claim, seizes power for himself. He finds the steward, the, the steward of uh, the previous King Henry I, who, and gets him to say that, yeah, on his deathbed, Henry I actually said, JK, uh, I don't want my daughter to be queen. We've been fighting. It would seem like in, in American politics, having missed the the white ship because you had diarrhea would be a disqualifyingly hilarious. Does the me- in this situation does the media know you had diarrhea diarrhea in Iowa or New Hampshire? I mean, we know now, fully one thousand years later. So we're, it we're uh, still talking about it all the time. It must have been it must have been recorded in the books. If Howard Dean can can be excluded from the from contention for the presidency for just yelling a little bit this guy's pooping his drawers what if maybe maybe that's why howard dean was screaming too right maybe or, that maybe that's why what's his name had to go get uh electroshock maybe uh, in 1190 pooping your drawers wasn't disqualifying maybe it actually like elevated his claim think what about of diarrhea that must have been that we know about it 900 years I later know, i know down and through the something. ages it echoes Ken, I want to talk to you about Squarespace. Oh, boy. Is this an intervention? No, I've been... Well, maybe. Like, uh, do you have a Ken Jennings website? I think you do. I do. And you know what? I've actually been thinking about putting some new stuff up there. I feel like it would be a good place to put, like, some... some trivia puzzles now that I'm not doing an email anymore. Well, I've been using Squarespace for many years to publish johnroderick.com, and I find it intuitive... And, uh, and incredibly cool, like, uh, cause you're not a web programmer guy. I'm really not. And I, you're for a bit a, of a rookie for a long time, I, it was the barrier to entry of having a cool website was just that I didn't know how to use the tools and wasn't interested in learning. I feel like almost everybody needs a website for something, whether they've just got work they want to show off or you know, content writing they want to publish, blogging, if there's something they want to sell. And what Squarespace does is Squarespace has these incredible templates created by world-class designers that are just waiting for you to populate them. They have e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online that, you know, it would be impossible to develop on your own. And it looks like you know what you're doing. You get a beautiful professional site in no time. It's optimized for mobile Right out of the box, which, you know, I can tell you there are still a lot of websites out there that are terrible on your phone. It looks like they pretty much do everything, including the hosting side. They give you analytics of how your site is doing. They can help you buy domains. They can You can choose over from, uh, from over 2,000 extensions. Optimize your search engine results. Like, it's really a one-stop shop with 24-7 customer service. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. And we're encouraging people here at Omnibus to make it. Make it yourself. Easily create a website by yourself. Make it stand out. Stand out with a beautiful website. What you want to do right now 
if you are starting up a website, is head to squarespace.com slash omnibus. That'll give you a free trial. Then when you're ready to launch, if you use the offer code omnibus, you will save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. So let me thank you, Squarespace, for hosting my own webpage, johnroderick.com, which I encourage everyone to go to right now. And uh, Squarespace has been a partner with me for over a decade. And thank you for supporting Omnibus and the Omnibus Project. Go to squarespace.com slash omnibus for a free trial. And then with the offer code Omnibus, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Thank you, Squarespace. So as I was saying, this was a time when really the crowds in London had to turn out for you. Yeah. And the crowds in London like Stephen. Oh. They, they think he's the man for the job. Oh. And despite the fact that he is just the nephew of the king who has a living heir, he is crowned on Boxing Day 1135, and the Blois dynasty takes over the throne of England. Well, now that's not going to sit very well with Empress Maud. Empress Matilda is furious. However, she is A, heavily, very pregnant. Yeah. Something that even your most diarrhea-stricken king doesn't have to deal with. And B, in France. She is not on the scene. Now, any anyone who has watched the uh, television program Paper House, or as it's known in America, Money Heist, knows that being pregnant and in Spain is no, uh, that's that does not disqualify one from being the main antagonist of the story in no. season 14 or whatever that was. And that is what's going to happen. Uh, Matilda is able, although she is stuck in France, she is able to get her half-brother, Robert, the Earl of Gloucester, Robert Fitzroy, to declare for her. He, he controls um, his own, uh, uh, what, uh, earldom is in the southwest of England. And Robert Fitzroy is, is one we know about. That, he, he, he appears. There might be multiple Roberts Fitzroy. Yeah. But, but yes. Um, he, uh, but he is persuaded to support Matilda's claim. I'm sure promises are made to him. And so, uh, within a few years, the Empress Maud raises up an army and leads an invasion of England. A further Norman conquest. A second Norman conquest leading to a bloody 15-year civil war, which even by the standards of the time shocked and appalled the people who had to live in it and write about it. The chroniclers say that the times were so terrible that Christ and his saints were asleep, <laughs> which is an unusual theological view of what makes for bad times. It's it's when Christ sleeps. It's when Jesus and the angels are taking a nap, and in the meantime, somebody's like, "Teehee, I'm going to eat a bat in China." It's or, not or when Christ and, and weeps; it's when he sleeps. He's not paying attention. Yeah. He, if he were paying attention, he would have said, "No, no, no. There cannot be a, a bloody <laughs> civil war on England's green and verdant hills." It's the imagining of Christ as one of the Greek gods. Yeah, right. his attention has been diverted by, uh, well, with Zeus it would be a fair maiden. But a fair maiden. But you're not going to say that about... A fair about, maiden being turned into a white cow, Jesus, which Jesus, Jesus has doesn't no, do. Jesus has no other hobbies that you can ascribe to him. You know, Zeus could be playing with his thunderbolts. Because Jesus has no recorded pastimes, you have to say that he was just taking a nap <laughs> with... Mm-hmm. With Saint Peter and all the all the other angels all curled up together, slumber party style. It's it's fun. They're having yeah. a good time. So, Maud has invaded England, and by 1140, but by by the following year, thanks to the armies of her half brother Robert of Gloucester, 
she now controls pretty much all of Southwest England, from Devon and Cornwall up into South Wales, all the way to what's now Oxfordshire. I mean, that's the good part. In the east. Um, whereas Stephen of Blois mm-hmm. has tightened his hold over the southeast. And you're right. If, if you had to pick, uh-huh. if you, I mean, he, uh, has, he has London. He does have London. He's got the museums in the West End. Does he have, does he have Slough? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he does have Slough, right? If, right. She, if she only gets to Oxford. Um, and so the country is divided by what comes to be called the anarchy because... There's two different ruling families controlling different parts of England. Stephen is calling himself Rex Anglorum, the king of England, and his wife is Regina Anglorum. So Maud styles herself Domina Anglorum, the lady of England. The lady of England. And by the following year, she manages to imprison the king, Stephen of Blois, in Bristol Castle and gets hold over the royal treasury and gets the church to plumb for. So in 1141, it kind of seems like it's all over. Yeah. Like Empress Maud... Domina Anglorum, the Lady of England, will be queen. She heads to London for her coronation. How does she imprison the king and not have already taken London? Was he like out? He's out fighting. He was out gallivanting. He's out leading armies. Oh, I see. Oh, so they continued to battle. Oh yeah, army to army. When oh, I right. say when I say this is the anarchy, like it's a it's Anything a bloodbath. Goes. Anything goes. Yeah. So she heads to London for the coronation. This is like Hillary Clinton in November 2016. This is she's going to break the glass ceiling. And this time, Londoners are not having it. They find her unlikable and distant. She's she's proud. She has she likes nice things. She's not relatable. She's not a get a. I'll have a I'll have a a mood of wine with you kind of a queen. Mm -mm. Um, In she should have done a set at Glastonbury. That would have won him over. Fringe festival. Uh (laughs) In hindsight. It's pretty easy to see that maybe these are criticisms that would not have been leveled against a male monarch. I mean, there right? are a lot of unlikable male monarchs. For sure. But what you've got here is a bunch of male feudal lords who are now being told, this woman's going to be your queen. She's she's kind of proud and likes nice stuff. Like, has there ever been a king in their experience who wasn't who pr- was proud, pr- and, liked proud nice and nasty stuff? and liked nice stuff? So you're saying that that uh, that she was being accused of being a bossy Exactly. Lady. Uh, yeah, like uh, Hillary Clinton on the Today Show. Right. This is this is kind of the common, as you can imagine, this is the conventional wisdom of modern scholarship. Mm-hmm. Oh, he, I see. That here's a strong woman um, who's finally, against all odds, gets a position of power and has it taken away from her by scheming men who can't stand the idea. Right. Um, so Londoners rise up in the streets like when she has a scheduled coronation in the Abbey and demand her removal, the church gets cold feet, the barons get cold feet, uh, and she has to escape over the escape over the snow. She wears a white cloak yeah. and crosses the Thames in the snow and ice um, to get out of the disputed, uh, to get away from the, what, the no man's land between her land and her, uh, cousins. This is all very cinematic. Where's the Hollywood uh, the Hollywood movie? Just just imagining the queen escaping, the strong female lead escaping under a white cloak. If the last duel had had a $30 million opening weekend, mm-hmm. we would absolutely be seeing <laughs> Ridley Scott's The Anarchy. Um, but now it may never happen. It, it's okay. It'll be an 11 episode yeah, exactly. a, a Apple TV Plus 
show or the something. sinking ship the it's game of thrones there's people are taking arrows to the eye people are having hundreds of bastards uh a, a ship uh, there's a shipwreck there's a long civil war you know we talk it actually about is this. game of thrones why are you and i not writing this screenplay we're just giving it away to the to all the futurelings we could we could be doing it ourselves look wikipedia gave it away to me it's the least i can do to pass it on to some <laughs> less lazy screenwriter than me Anyway, so for the next decade, there are essentially two parallel governments running uh, the country, despite the fact that Stephen of Blois is still a, a castle prisoner. His uh, his court is still claiming the throne. And in fact, he is shortly recrowned after Empress Maud's high water mark. This will make the story even more confusing. Stephen of Blois is married to a woman named... Maud. Correct. Matilda, also the only possible name. Matilda of Bologna is able to raise up an army. How is she involved? Well, her husband's uh, the king of England and he's stuck in a castle somewhere. He's freezing his butt off in a garret, a castle tower. But she's Italian? How did they get married? Oh, uh, it's B-O-L-O-U-G-N-E. Oh, Bologna. Bologna. Right. There was actually recently a Jeopardy clue where I had to say that three different ways because nobody could decide. Nobody knew if it was Bologna, Bologna, or Boulogne. And what did they I, go I, with? I have no idea what aired. <laughs> it's Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's earldom. I love the idea of you standing behind that podium going, Bologna, Bologna. The new, the new executive producer Bologna. speaks French. Oh. And so he was not having anything but Bologna. Oh, he said Bologna. Yeah. Which oh. is maybe the, maybe it's the colloquial way you say Bois de Bologne. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Futurelings. Please let us know if I should yell at my boss for making me say Bois de Boulogne weird. Um, so they get revenge. So Robert of Gloucester is still leading Maud's army, you know, his half sister. Uh-huh. Uh, but Matilda's Matilda of Boulogne's army uh, scores a decisive victory against Robert of Gloucester and then takes him prisoner. So each army oh. now has the other's male leader prisoner which, as you might expect, leads to a prisoner swap, which Matilda might not have known about. Um, Robert's guys might have... Our Matilda, not Matilda right. of Bloin. Empress Maud may not have known. Um, so with, And then with Stephen out of the tower, that's when the church switches sides again. He is able to get re-crowned, and uh, it, Maud never gets close to a coronation again. She sets up a new court, in Salisbury, they almost capture Stephen again. Like decades go, fifteen years go by, almost capture Stephen again, but he gets away. Both armies are now too beaten down to defeat the other. I mean, it basically becomes the order of things in England for fifteen years. There's this Cold War going on between the king in London and the Empress in Salisbury, and there are so there are effectively two Englands. Yes, uh, the Matilda's son Henry is a promising young leader. He's the Duke of Normandy, and he has already married Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, We're getting into Lion and Winter territory here. And so he's now, well, he has an ambitious, powerful, um, brilliant wife. Um, He now has about a third of England. And Stephen's son, his heir, Eustace, has died. And... Now Stephen sees a way out. If Stephen makes Matilda's son Henry his heir, then the war will end. And he's thinking, well, I'll just have another son and we'll call it off again. Uh Um, 
but he died of an illness the next year. And so that essentially ends the anarchy because Matilda loses the battle but wins the war. Her son, Henry II, is installed on the throne and Blois kind of becomes, as we say on the omnibus, an interregnum. Yeah, we love that word, interregnum. Where, you know, the Normans of uh, William's line both precede and succeed him. So Blois ends up being a dead end. No more Blois. And the and the anarchy ends with the restoration. And yeah, with a whimper, not a bang. Mm-hmm. Matilda stays in Normandy where she lives out the rest of her days. Um, Going to the Reading Festival. Her, her tombstone, interestingly, points out that she is the... Wait, she, she ends up in Normandy, not yeah. in Salisbury? No, she leaves to camps for the north of France and lives out the rest of her days there. Oh. Um, when she finally dies, her, her tombstone notes that Henry was her father, mm-hmm. because King Henry I was her father. Henry was her brother, because one of her many illegitimate half-brothers was uh, Henry Fitzroy. Mm-hmm. And Henry was her son, because her son, Henry II, became king. So even on her tombstone, our strong female protagonist is defined as a daughter, a wife, wife and a and mother. A mother. Um, but, because she came within a hair's breadth of being the Queen of England centuries before Elizabeth or whoever. But don't you think maybe the tombstone is also just kind of a, like, uh, all that is written on there because it's funny? They wouldn't have been charmed by the idea of three people having the same name because that was literally what they were used to. Right. Well, of course you had a husband, a brother, and a, or a brother, a son, and a father with the same name. We all do. <laughs> I, I have six sisters named Matilda. At what point did people start naming their sons Braden? <laughs> There has not yet been a Braden on the throne of England. But, or President um, Braden, but that's that cannot last. Which will happen first? I, well, here's, here's the situation I see. Meghan Markle gives birth to a boy named Braden. Okay. Some kind of King, Ra- King Ralph scenario happens with um, you know, lightning striking a well, metal Prince bleachers. Andrew uh, results in the entire uh, Windsor family falling into disarray. Yes, Exactly. Uh, Britain decides that it will only have a biracial king now. Right. And Braden the first is crowned. I feel like maybe more likely that the first generation Z president is elected at age 35 and is And named, is a YouTuber named and Braden. Is a YouTuber, a YouTube boxer named Braden who, uh, who like reform, reforms our nation. He's the one that brings us back together and ends the anarchy that will surely begin in 2024. Finally. We haven't been a, had a good bipartisan boxer since Teddy Roosevelt. Thank you, President Braden. It's time for a Braden. And that concludes the anarchy. The large. <laughs> Entry 024.DA1106. Certificate number 45359 in the omnibus. Futurelings. In the unlikely event that social media still exists in your era, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram are archived at, at Omnibus Project. Two ats. Our handles were at Ken Jennings and at John Roderick. Our email address for the show was the Omnibus Project at gmail.com. Send in all your historical corrections and mm-hmm. French pronunciations. Uh, you can go, and if you'd rather not compose an email to Ken, which he will not read and I will not read. I will absolutely read it. Mindy will read it. No, I replied to all of them. Do you? Yeah. Even the ones that are like, hey, Ken, tell John that he's my favorite and I want to be his bride. You're like, 
Dear correspondent. Usually I'm like, thanks for listening, <laughs> Betty. And then I forward it to you. You do not forward it to me. I have I have stopped receiving marriage proposals, and I think it's because you're just censoring them. Because I'm, of your because you're a prude. I'm hoard no, I'm hoarding them all. I, <laughs> you think people are sending marriage proposals to the host of Jeopardy? No. Boo. Uh, yeah, I think they're. I think they are, but I think they're probably all eighty-two years old. I am Dear ha- Ken, I am happy to be the uh, the young, uh, what the twelve-year-old Jeffrey of Anjou in yeah. this scenario. I think you're Hen- you're Henry the whatever is what I, is how I think of you. Uh, if you don't want to email Ken um, and get a weird form letter in reply, you can just go on the Future Links Facebook page, and uh, all of your all of your questions will be answered Chat by fellow up. Future Links. And people will be outraged, and you can uh, you can see how many whiskey whiskey distillers are still mad about the my whiskey episode. You can mail us things at PO Box five five seven four four Shoreline Washington nine eight one five five, and we encourage you to support the show. This was a listener's suggestion. Thanks, David. Our show today, uh, if you support the show at the Washing Bear level, you can uh, suggest a show. But there are many other levels of support. Lower and higher that accrue to you many benefits, including our monthly addenda show. Remarkable boons that we deign to grant. Boons. So go to patreon.com slash omnibus, and, uh, and there, uh, there, uh, it's, there's almost an infinite number of levels you could join at because you can make your own donation. So many boons. Yeah, it is, in fact, infinite. Right. You could do one, you could, you could pledge... Five point three 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 repeating dollars per month. Six dollars and eighty one cents a month. You will be the only person at that tier, and you can name it. <clears throat> if you're going to be the only person at a tier, why not choose sixty dollars and eighty one cents? Wow, wow. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Nobody is giving it the six hundred dollar and eighty one cent level. There you go. Be the only one. Guaranteed. Nobody's gonna. Nobody's gonna match you. Listeners, from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our civilization survived. We hope and pray that the anarchy we fear may never come, but if we descend into civil war soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may be our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the Omnibus. <laughs>